Welcome to Blockchain Unpacked. Blockchain Unpacked is a video cast and podcast series held in partnership between RegTech Associates and Crystal Blockchain. Join Jason Baud and Marina Kaustova every month and explore the real-world impact of criminal activity beyond the blockchain. During the series, we will introduce you to a range of experts who will help analyze regulatory effectiveness and share the latest news, trends and predictions in a digestible format to keep you in the know. Hello everyone, I'm Marina Costa, a CEO of Crystal Blockchain, and welcome to Blockchain Unpacked. This podcast provides you with a perspective from esteemed leaders in blockchain technology and regulatory sectors. And joining me as a co-host today is Jason Bout, CEO of RegTech Associates. We will commence by discussing most notable developments in the space of uh, regulation around Web3 and AI, and subsequently we'll have a conversation with our guest, Mike Castiglione, former CA analyst and manager. So, Jason, last month, of course, have been very intensive for various um, key events in our space. Um, What caught your eye in particular? What developments do you see as the most impactful ones? Hi, Marina. Good to see you again. Yeah, I mean, this month, I don't know about you, but I think it's been crazy. There's been so much news, so so many developments. Um, I think this show could be quite a long one, but I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, I think we're going to go all around the world. I'm going to start close to home and um, some news that broke in the UK last week about a new uh, economic crime and transparency act with the catchy title of ECTA, uh, E-C-C-T-A, and uh, lots and lots of changes, unlike some other uh, jurisdictions where maybe they're trying to fit uh, crypto into existing laws and regulations. This is this is a new set of legal capabilities, effectively, and it allows things like, uh, on the criminal side, the seizure of, of assets without an arrest. It allows uh, law enforcement officers to create uh, wallets and transfer assets uh, into those law enforcement control wallets. It also allows, um, if this ever will be a thing, the destruction of seized crypto assets if, um, if required. And also from a civil sort of uh, legal perspective, it allows uh, law enforcement agencies to take control and recover crypto assets, um, unhosted wallets effectively without a search warrant. And also, uh, which I thought was quite interesting, allows um, the conversion or the exchange of crypto assets into cash. So where there's an ongoing case to protect, I guess, the value of those crypto assets against volatility. So... There's a whole bunch of other changes um, on the financial crime side. The UK has been, it's not number one in many places in the world, but it's been number one in using uh, fraudulent companies for fraud for quite a while through some fairly lax controls in uh, setting up company uh, new companies in the UK. And all of that's come under a great reform. So quite a big piece of legislation um, came, came out, uh, went through the, the law courts and will come into uh, into effect, I think, in a, in a staged manner over the next sort of months and years. So, yeah, pretty big news, at least in the UK. Oh, no, sure. I, I think we saw that coming, of course, because many companies decided to actually move their headquarters to UK or announced that they're going to be doing that. And of course, you know, that uh, combined with the efforts done by FCA in the you know previous uh, couple of years to clean up the space, to make it you know better, um, uh, that, of course, you know, prepared the ground. And I think we saw like about a month ago, final warning to crypto companies to uh, comply, to um, submit all required information. And that was really the final step 
uh, from Crystal's side, I think we saw that coming when um, uh, we heard the feedback, particularly from uh, UK-based law enforcement and more increasing need for um, our solution that can be utilized uh, on the ground uh, during uh, you know, seizure operations uh, that would allow immediately understand you know, if there are assets uh, you know, that are uh, hosted on these particular devices. Um, and what kind of assets are those? Is there you know, particular evidence, immediate evidence of these assets to be connected to certain illicit activities, or criminal activities? Um, uh, yeah, so I think uh, that was uh, long ago, you know, supported also by um, uh, on-the-ground actions on site uh, activities. And uh, now we see this missing part of the legislation coming in place, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess there's going to be more and more need for things like training, right? You know, like we, we've spoken about before, to really make sure people can use these tools effectively and use them as, um, you know, part of a thorough investigation, including other, other data sources as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, great, interesting news. I mean, the other thing that, that caught my eye, um, which I think, again, you'd have to be asleep somewhere really for the last month and not notice this, is just the uh, the amount of noise and the amount of activity around AI and AI um, transparency, AI safety, um, alongside news around things like chat GPT and LLMs in general, um, you know, Sam Altman in front of Congress, et cetera, that happened last year, it seems all the world leaders are jumping on this AI safety and, and, and risk bandwagon. Um, in the UK, the actually the, the King of England and the Prime Minister have been uh, hosting the AI Safety Summit this week, um, and that uh, resulted in a, um, a declaration uh, known as Bletchley Park Declaration, and Bletchley Park was the, the home to sort of intelligence during the Second World War. So it's quite a, a famous venue, which is where the summit was hosted. And then um, also the G7 are set to agree a code of conduct. And I think, you know, I'm not going to steal the thunder for later, but I probably trumping all of that news, uh, no pun intended, was Joe Biden and the uh, US government um, exec order around AI and AI safety. And gonna... Yeah, you literally cannot move for AI news, although... You know, I think you might even have some bigger news for us as, as, as we go into the show. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty exciting, I think. Yeah, developing very fast and uh, you know, we're observing it very closely because uh, it really gets uh, personal for us here in Crystal uh, because uh, I don't see how we can proceed further understanding risks uh, uh, in uh, associated with digital assets without deploying AI in full scale. We are already using AI to spot, you know, weird patterns, uh, odd events, you know, that might be a signal of the early, you know, stages of rug pulls or um, identifying certain uh, malicious patterns, you know, but uh, uh, of course, you know, that's just the early phase for us and our colleagues, you know, from space. Um, but uh, yeah, I think um, uh, these rules, they might shake things a little bit for us. Uh, and we're very much interested, you know, to see how AI can be deployed further to um, mitigate the risk and to identify the risk, prevent, uh, yeah, um, risky and malicious activities. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to digging into, you know, Mike's views on this later as well. So, um and Marina, what, what's going on in your world? What, what's caught your eye over the last sort of few weeks? Oh, yeah. In our space, you know, everyone is, uh, of course, talking about uh, um, the um, events uh, connected to the very devastated uh, uh, um, actions, you know, that we saw that 
Israel experienced a severe attack from Hamas uh, in the recent weeks, exactly almost a, uh, a month ago, right? Um, so this, of course, resulted in an unprecedented number of casualties during the attack and the aftermath, which is still going on. And uh, um, we're already experiencing it, you know, not only from the stage where we need to understand what's going on in the crypto world, we also have our team members placed in, um, uh, in Israel and Tel Aviv, such, again, as our, many of our um, uh, colleagues, uh, colleague companies do. So, yeah, such events, uh, of course, they invariably led to the discussions, um, uh, you know, how these attacks have been planned and what kind of funding has been utilized for that to be prepared and planned properly. And uh, a key topic has been shift, you know, in Hamas funding methods in recent times. So uh, we will delve into this later in this episode uh, with Mike, of course, uh, but it's important to understand again um, to the repercussions, you know, this event had on the blockchain analytics industry. Because, um, yeah, um, what has happened, I'll give just, a, you know, set up the scene for that. So a major media outlet um, um, has published a report and they based their conclusions on the data um, that they had from one of our fellow blockchain analytics companies. And they have reported in doing their own analysis uh, uh, that report has um, collected uh, around $130 million through crypto donations. So um, the analytics company actually intervened and they addressed and corrected the error they said that data has been misinterpreted and it actually it was wrong conclusion done but the media chose not to retract the story immediately um and uh, disturbingly of course you know this led to um 100 lawmakers um they were signed a letter pushing for structural crypto regulations and uh, the media, of course, wanted the best possible analysis, you know, uh, with the best intentions possible. And uh, um, but this incorrect narrative, which was again uh, corrected by blockchain analytics firm, it still misled the politicians. So um, I'm worried because we had more similar cases concentrated in October. Um, another significant media uh, establishment actually erroneously reported the uh, approval of Bitcoin ETF for of Black, for BlackRock. So this immediately drove up Bitcoin prices and, you know, this caused a series of position liquidations and financial losses for many companies. Everyone was raged, but it doesn't have this, you know, long lasting impact on the industry as, you know, the one related to Hamas, of course. But still, it, you know, makes me think that our industry really plays a crucial role in educating those with the power to shape business policies and minds of people. And I've always emphasized the importance of the education. I published a series uh, of articles actually recently um, about this concept of signal versus noise, right? What approach should be taken when we are analyzing such a complex events? We're running to conclusion too fast. Um, you know, um, it's simply uh, irresponsible. You cannot do this, even if you are having the best intentions in mind. So yeah, it's a very complicated place. And uh, um, yeah, we spoke exactly about, you know, what data is available right now to everyone and how we interpret this data and what do we do with that, what it tells us. Spoiler alert, not too much, because we don't know what this money is spent for. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm very much uh, uh, looking forward to speak to Mike about all this uh, and to hear his opinion that um, but, uh, the story still unfolds. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I know how seriously you and your team at, Blo at, at Crystal take um, your role, right, and your job and uh, the data you provide and making sure that's got the best context when it's used, um, that, you know, I think can really be the whole story, right? And, and and therefore, 
you know, an expectation that people are aware of how they use that data and interpret correctly, I think is 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 fair. Unfortunately, we seem to be in this world where, you know, people want to get to the conclusion the quicker and there's almost this time to time to get something out. And, you know, I'm really interested. I know I know when we have Mike on, I, th I want to discuss it with him. He's just written an article about, you know, some of the techniques that, the, that you know, when he was formerly in the CIA, that, that they use around, you know, getting to the truth, right? Um, you know, it's, it's a it's a worrying story that, of course, the Israeli um, Hamas story is, you know, incredibly sad. And, um, you know, but however, I think the underlying issue here that, that we're going to talk about is as much about how society and researchers and journalists and others are using the data and they have a responsibility to use that data. So, yeah, I think it's a really, really important topic. And I know how, again, I know how seriously you, you take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, well, another big thing, and uh, uh, I think it's on the top of the mind of everyone, you know, related to digital assets, um, is that Sam Bankman-Fried found guilty on seven uh, criminal fraud counts. Um, so um, his sentencing set for March 28th, uh, but it's already clear that, um, um, yeah, he probably is going to be charged with more than 100 years. Um, yeah, and uh, it's a big... Um, Big event, the FTX drama comes to an end. And what specifically surprises me is like how fast the whole story um, revolved uh, and uh, came to current stage, right? Um, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, the entire case, of course, uh, yeah, um, connects not only crypto, you know, and brings in not only crypto in the spotlight, it also speaks about uh, broader, you know, financial institutions practices uh, that were in place. And uh, I can see right now, you know, two um, camps, you know, forming out. Uh, one says that, oh, crypto industry would never recover again. And this trust uh, uh, that has been lost, it's really hard to build it up back. But I'm thinking that it's not about crypto in particular. And I'm a big fan of the statement that technologies are always going to be utilized by bad actors. And it's our goal to figure out, you know, how we identify this, how we treat that. And uh, um, yeah, how do we observe um, such huge financial institutions holistically taking into consideration not only like one aspect of what's going on, but uh, many of those, including risks related to governance, uh, right, technological risks, uh, and so on. So yeah, um, it's a big thing. Um, uh, yeah, but I think we have a long way for us uh, forward to design how these kind of institutions can be operating in a much more transparent way. Yeah, I mean that's that's the big news story, right? Just just for anyone listening to this show, we're recording the show on November the third, and the story only broke, you know, uh, yesterday like in the US time. So it's it's very very fresh, and I, you know I agree, it's, this is not a crypto story, right? It's a fraud story. It's a lack of governance story. It's a lack of control. It's profiteering. It's everything, you know. Crypto's taking a really bad rap over this. Um, you know, do, do, do uh, criminals using AI for for scams, you know, does AI get a bad rap because, you know, there's some criminal using a, a, a type of technology to to make their crime more efficient or make proceeds higher, etc. No. Right. But however, I mean, you can't you can't change history. Hopefully what we can do is sort of put from this point forward. And I think a lot of commentators are talking about this is fraud. Like there's no other way to describe it. It's fraud. It could have been conducted in traditional finance. It could have been conducted in some other way. 
just so happens, unfortunately, for the crypto industry that SBF was was all over crypto. So, uh, yeah, but huge news story. And uh, I'm sure it's going to have some repercussions from this point onwards, despite all the regulation and safety that's happening in the industry. Yeah, yeah. No, true. Um, I think uh, this story is always going to stay in the you know study books and <laughs> people will be referring to that uh, case uh, uh, many, many years ahead. Um, yeah, and it definitely will have and uh, already has a lot of impact on the policy uh, that are deployed. Um, with this in mind, I think it's a perfect time for us to bring uh, in this week's guest, uh, Mike Castiglione. So uh, at the CIA, Mike was an analyst and manager who responded to international disputes. He informed diplomacy and defense policy at the highest levels of government, and he built bespoke enterprise software. Mike brought together academia, private enterprise, and government to leverage innovative thinking and technology to improve foreign policy decisions. At a Series B startup, he helped convey the importance of applying innovative methods uh, to regulate financial markets, including for crypto. He has spoken and written on crypto policy and the lessons of how emerging tech supports national security and national competitiveness. So welcome, Mike. It's really great to have you with us today. Um, first and foremost, how are you doing and what's been going on in your world these past months? Hi, Marina. Hi, Jason. It's an honor to be on the podcast. Um, yeah, one thing I've been doing maybe earlier than normal this year is just taking stock about how much has changed in the past 12 months. You know, it's, it's November, um, so I guess that's natural to do at the end of the year. Um, but some of the, the, the dizzying uh, international events, obviously it's the continuation of, of the Russia-Ukraine war, the cross-border attacks against Israel, the uh, drama around crypto markets um, just in the past 12 months. And then also chat GPT 3.5 was released to the public just in November of 2022. Um, so it's only been a year and, and that really has shaped um, the public conversation about technology and the economy and really the future of um, you know, safety and work and national security. Um, and it's also spawned really uh, interesting great ideas uh, of how to apply it to solve real world problems. Yeah, well, well, you know, again, welcome to the show, Mike. I think you're right, when you look back, it's been a crazy 12 months and it seems like the news news is, you know, coalescing around some, some really big topics uh, lately. As Marina said, right, obviously in the last 24 hours, I do want to get your thoughts and comments on, uh, on of course, FTX and, and uh, SBF, if I get both those acronyms right, because uh, that's fresh news for us. It would be good to hear your thoughts on that story. And then perhaps we move on to some of the other topics we had in mind. I mean, I, I don't know what I could add about the FTX SBF drama other than you know, just stating the obvious of how much of a tragedy it is. A tragedy, of course, for the victims, but also for, you know, the, you know, you know, SBF. Um, and his family and his friends. I mean, just imagine if his talents or his his unique talents would have been channeled in a different way, right? Um, and it kind of really just em emphasizes to me the importance of um, making the right decisions, especially in kind of like an untamed uh, youth in your 20s and 30s. Um, like being in a structure and being in an environment, being surrounded by people who will help channel 
your decisions and your energies in the right direction um, and not be in an environment uh, that is uh, just just more apt for you know fast and loose decisions. Um, so it's a it's a tragedy all around. Yeah, it's good. It's good to bring it back to 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 that human reality, right? Thank you. But speaking speaking about uh, you know um, um, the hope that actually Sam gave to uh, a lot of crypto community, I remember you know watching him on a huge screen in my living room, you know. Um, uh, speaking before the Congress and, uh, you know, to, uh, explaining how certain things work. And I was thinking, wow, like maybe it's like one of the rare cases where we see a person coming from tech, from a startup, being young, and it just, you know, and people joking that he's holding his hands like he's still playing Dota or something like, you know, game. And I was like very, and as, as, as many other people, we were really um, uh, hoping to see more of these, you know, people coming directly straightly from tech and speaking uh, about what they're building. And uh, yeah, I think it's also, um, people get mad because of a lot of these hopes, they were crashed also. Yeah, um, I guess some of the public figures, um, you know the the person you hoped they were they become and 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 sadly in this case you know it, it hasn't worked out that way um let's move on to the first part of the show with, with mikey and where uh we're going to move on talk about a couple of comments i mean we've, we've touched on this already but obviously our news feeds as marina mentioned have been dominated in the last month or so by the latest global conflict the you know israeli hamas um conflict and there's been a lot of discussion, as again, Marina said earlier, about the role of cryptocurrencies in funding certain organizations and political parties. Can you, you know, can you provide your context and an overview of that that debate and, and maybe highlight some of the lessons learned from perhaps the ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict? And Mike, I saw, I think we'll post this in the show notes. I read your article earlier um, about you know that you posted out so on Substack, uh, which is, was great. Uh, on you know taking the responsibility when you're researching these things to you know follow great practice, which, which is a really good read. I recommend it to everybody. But yeah, what what, what are your thoughts on in this topic, Mike? Yeah, I guess lesson number one from that blog post is always read primary sources, um, and that's that, that's something I think on this question of Hamas and. Crypto funding. A lot of people are kind of reading the headlines or um, kind of employing fuzzy logic and jumping to conclusions, and then someone else is taking that incorrect conclusion and kind of stretching it even further. So I guess one one more piece. I think Marina did an excellent job of describing the series of events of how we got into this controversy. I guess one one more piece of context is that. You know, Hamas launched its cross-border surprise attack against Israel on what, October 7. And this article came out on October 10. So just three days afterwards. So just so that obviously it was a very emotional time, a lot of a lot of drama, rightly so. Um, and in that context, you know, it, it's really important as a professional to be mindful of that emotional environment and to pause and take time and, and really understand whether, you know, the, the press for me meeting a deadline or saying something smart might be muddling, um, you, you know, your, your conclusions or thinking, I mean, this, this happens all the time 
um, at, you know, for journalists and certainly happened at CIA where there was something surprising or maybe we got something wrong or, or missed it. And you felt like an immediate pressure to, to say something, but sometimes the right answer is to, to pause, to kind of take that extra moment to talk to experts and talk to people across an organization and just double check your facts. Um, yeah, the other thing related to, I guess, always reading primary sources. So, so the, the initial news article cited, I guess, two independent blockchain intelligence firms saying, you know, Hamas is associated with, I think it was like $93 million and another one said $41 million. And what erroneously happened is that, some, you know, politicians kind of smashed, added those two together and got to 130. So, so the, the equivalent is like, if I have a jar of marbles and Marina estimates there are 500 marbles and Jason estimates there are 400. I can't say that you two estimated that there are 900 marbles, right? So just, it's like, the, that's the same thing. So that, that was flaw number one in, in the logic there. And, and then, you know, flaw number two is that, um, you know, not all of that money was controlled by Hamas, Hamas directly. Um, and this is this came out in like earlier deeper analysis from other blockchain intelligence firms. So I guess the equivalent is, let's say you have a bank and the mafia uses that bank uh, for various reasons. Like not all the money in that bank is associated with shakedowns and criminal activity. Like some of it is, um, and you know the mafia might even want to hide its money in a bigger bank that has lots of funds, um, so it could kind of fly under the radar, but that doesn't mean the entire, you know, wealth of that bank is associated with or controlled by the mafia. So that's another kind of flaw in, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the logic of, of this, this case. Uh, on the other side, I think those who are a bit more pro crypto, um, you know, they you know, you know, that side are certainly downplaying Hamas's ability to hide and deceive. So let's kind of think about it for a second. Like Hamas is about a 40 year old organization. They've been going toe to toe with Israel, you know, one of the, the most sophisticated counterterrorism forces in the world, very sophisticated intelligence organization. Hamas just launched a surprise attack against Israel. So given that context, of course they are able to hide things that everyone else is not seeing, uh, you know, especially, you know, in, you know, open source. So given that it's, it's, there's a high probability that there are wallets and other sources of funding that we just don't know about at this moment. Uh, again, it's only been been a month. So I guess on that, on that side too, this an order of humility in understanding who we're dealing with and the sophisticated nature of the organization is really important. And I guess the overall, uh, you know, disappointment in this debate is that I feel like it's it's distracting attention from what really matters in thinking about how to block bad actors from using a new technology. And Marina got this uh, spot on. Like, what really matters is continually investigating, analyzing, blocking, seizing. Um, and then anticipating that this organization is going, is going to adapt based on how uh, law enforcement and intelligence services 
you know, disrupt their activities. So I think it's it's whether Hamas has channeled you know one million in crypto or one hundred million in crypto. Like that's the task ahead of us, um, and uh, I think that's what we should be focused on. So these rushed conclusions, uh, um, you know, this uh, uh, intention to move super fast with some critical data, uh, you know, it seems to be polarizing the public discourse quite critically. Uh, and again, it's dangerous uh, to see that happening. But how actually we can, you know, how the people here can navigate through this noise and how well informed opinions can be done. Um, just, uh, you know, just to wait for, you know, when the right data will appear, um, temptation to move and to act is so big. I do have a quick question actually, before we move on, that sort of occurred to me, obviously, you know, any, any blockchain intelligence, blockchain analytics firm, you know, will have their data and the data will be different and may or may not be contacted by journalists for comments. Um, like, like I'd like to get your thoughts. I mean, like, how how do you? I mean, you can't prevent people interpreting the data in whichever way they see fit, right? And we coming to whichever conclusions they want, and we might want them to do research in the way that you might have done, Mike. You will have done in your CIA roles. But how can you really? You know, how can we really change this? Or how can the blockchain intelligence industry really change? Is it education? Is it? something else is it you know how, what, what are your thoughts marina well i think it just came to my mind that you know there is a controversy uh in these two approaches because when i'm being asked you know what are the biggest problems right now uh in the you know legal frameworks and jurisdictional frameworks uh that prevent us from battling and stopping crime i say that uh the um, agency you know of those who are making decisions we need to be able to move fast to stop bad actors because otherwise they're going to be utilizing swaps and immediately getting away through uh, all these you know means of crypto transfer which allow them to do so uh, so we really need to move super fast. And now like we are seeing another situation where moving fast is actually very like harmful uh, and you cannot because the uh, it's something that at stakes, you know, is much, much bigger than just a, a bad actor who just uh, hacked uh, um, some protocol. So yeah, I mean, this is this is the uh, um, yeah, tricky part of that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, just just to comment, like, conveying uncertainty is very, very difficult. Um, and, and this, you know, in, in our CIA analytic training, the, we we had uh, dedicated lessons to um, to how to, of how to convey to busy policymakers, um, you know, our judgments of what's happening when there's very little information. So th this is just a recognized very difficult thing to do. So there's tricks such as you know probabilistic language or being very clear about what we know and don't know uh, and, and separating it out. Um, so there, I think there are various, various tricks and tactics um, someone can use in any discipline to convey uncertainty and just starting, starting up top saying, you know, this is a fast moving environment. We have, we, we are coming to conclusions based on these particular sources and these sources are limited and the, there are other sources we don't know we don't have access to. Um, so I think being being very transparent about not only what you think is happening, but why you think it's happening, like the, the basis upon which you're making judgments. 
it, it takes discipline. It takes it takes a little extra uh, effort. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it takes a lot of extra effort. But yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, yeah, really useful background. Thank you. And as I understand your approach uh, in gathering and interpreting information from various sources uh, means that you need to take into consideration all you know possible sources of data, including blockchain analytics. Uh, but maybe you can give some more you know light, bring more light on how blockchain analytics plays you know particular role in like proving or disproving certain hypotheses. Um, I understand maybe not in some like very nuanced details, but still. It, I mean, just to add, like, I mean, blockchain analytics as a innovation has been incredibly important. I mean, you know, uh, years ago, really crummy people were doing horrible things, uh, you know, using Bitcoin. It was really most, a lot of, a lot of it was Bitcoin back then. Um, and they were under the presumption, presumption that, you know, they couldn't be found out, but with the advent of blockchain analytics, they, they, you know, they found justice. Uh, they, they didn't, you know, get away with it. Uh, uh, so it, it's a really important innovation. And it's an example of how basically it's the, the sword and shield of, you know, tech innovation, uh, where you need innovation on both fronts, like, you know, like the bad guys, nefarious actors, whether it's fraudsters or criminals or people who are, are you know, apt to exploit other people are going to use whatever tools they have available to include new technologies. So we need to um, build our defenses and be as innovative uh, and as you know, cunning as the criminals. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, we, we, I guess we're seeing a, a innovation and evolution of these tools as well, right? Marina will know better than me, but considering some of the some of the tools in the industry have been around, you know, a number of years now, they will have progressed quite significantly from where they started. And um, it seems to me, you made, you made this comment in your article, um, Mike, about, or I think someone did in their comment about sort of armchair investigators. And we had Rob uh, from Arrowsgate a couple of shows ago, and he talked about sort of, you know, armchair investigators that were, able to use blockchain explorers and you know that's a diff a completely different world with a completely different tool set to the professional grade products like crystal and others right in the industry so um i think that's the other thing to you know i'm a, I run a research company right so you state your sources of where the data comes from and they're like obvious things and natural things to do right but you know i wonder if that discipline needs to be more uh across the industry and you know citing a, a blockchain explorer versus citing one of the professional grade tools that's had hundreds of hours or years of development is a very different thing right yeah one, one um, of the yeah one of the feeds i follow on you know x formerly twitter is uh, a, a bunch of open source analysts that are looking at the israel hamas conflict and russia ukraine it's it's amazing you know how much insight they can you can glean just from open source information it's it and this isn't just information that is just like lying out there there are investigative tools that you can use to dig into information that is you know uh, you know not classified but still available to investigators i was, I was chatting with a um ceo of an um, in open source intelligence firm yesterday um and this company is doing amazing work in in bringing together you know, it's blockchain intelligence and also 
um, you know, Discord information and um, um, you know, a code that's openly available and, and, and really piecing together a whole story about who's behind certain um, efforts or, or other activities that, you know, um, you know, when something goes wrong, it, it's important to react quickly, um, but you need that base of knowledge and those tools available right away. Otherwise you, um, you're, you're just reacting. Yeah, I'm also yeah, that's that's a really good insight. I'm also curious, Marina. We've never really talked about this, but um, you know, as we've raised a couple of times, a couple of previous shows, and even now, you you have a greater responsibility uh, to ensure that the processes you go through to take the public data and augment with with, with your your data on top of that is, you know, is done to world class standards and the. You know, how, how do you how do you go about that? How does how does your I'm sort of curious. How, how does that happen? Well, I think it's critical to uh, make sure that those who are utilizing our solution are clearly understanding where each bit of data comes from, so they can really make it um, uh, adjustments. You know, on their optics, and just take out you know whatever they think you know as non-reliable and non-impactful uh, you know data, because. Uh, well, that, that's a reality. We have to, we cannot grow our teams of analysts who are sifting through each bits of data, you know, um, in, infinitely. We really need to think about plugging in data providers and uh, uh, OSINT information and the OSINT uh, data has been very, very uh, impactful and very useful as of lately. So uh, the question is, again, there are uh, uh, companies or organizations, you know, that trust certain sources and there are others who won't trust them. And it's just my responsibility to make sure they clearly understand what kind of data they're using and they are able to, uh, again, change the optics. Um, uh, to your point, uh, you know, a few few episodes ago, we mentioned uh, these uh, uh, some of interesting initiatives where the um, Arkham Intelligence launched an uh, exchange where you can submit data and receive bounty, you know, for these data. And I was in general like, skeptical about the approach, but right now, actually, I can see how that could work for this particular situation, for this particular case, where OSINT um, analysts who are doing a lot of this pro bono work, sifting through the bits of data available to them, can actually have, you know, uh, an opportunity and a place, you know, to submit this data to in the hands of some people who can, again, take that and process it with some more powerful powerful tools and figure out what can be done with that. So it's an important like bridge, you know, that's being established. Um, and uh, again, we cannot just uh, um, close our eyes on that data, but uh, uh, we really need to be sober and clear uh, to whoever consumes that, where it comes from. Uh, yeah, I think on this note, we can uh, we can conclude. Uh, and huge thanks to our special guest, Mike, for joining us in this room and uh, in this uh, show today. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, please tune in uh, next month for episode number nine. Um, it will be the final episode for our first season of Blockchain Unpacked. Okay, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for having me.